All right, well, last week, uh, as much as I hated to do it, really did, I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger, okay? And the big idea from last week's passage was that God's grace, it is so great that it actually has broken the power of sin in your life. God's grace, it is so great, it has destroyed, utterly destroyed the power of sin in your life. Sin no longer rules over you. And what great news Paul proclaimed to us last week. And yet what any of you would probably freely acknowledge is that the way that we experience life in this world, even if you're a Christian, it doesn't always feel like we're totally free from sin, right? Like who here is like, no, yeah, I just, um, I used to struggle with sin and temptation, bad attitudes. Then I became a Christian and perfect ever since. Nobody would say that. I mean, there are days when I very much still feel the power of sin's grip on my life, on my flesh. I mean, I feel lazy. I feel selfish. I even feel stuck in ruts. And it's a frustrating reality, right? It's like, why? Why is it like this? I wish that obedience and faithfulness and worship was as easy today as it will be one day in eternity. And it will be. Like, in heaven with the Lord, the struggle will not be there. But for now, it's a fight. It is absolutely a battle to live for Christ, to live as people who are no longer under the reign of sin. It's a battle to live like people who are dead to sin and alive to God. We have a fight on our hands. And so the question that we ended with last week was this. How do we actually live in God's power today? How do we do it? How do we successfully navigate this life as people who are dead to sin and alive to God? How do we live like perfect shortstops, even when we're playing second base? And the big picture answer that Paul gives us is this in Romans 6. Verses 8 through 11. Okay, this is going to be like his big framework. He says, now, if we died with Christ, he wants to remind us of the truth foundation that we're standing on. He says, if we died with Christ, our already truth, then we believe we also will live with him. Okay, there's coming a day. When we will live with him. Because we know that Christ having been raised from the dead. He's not going to die again. Death no longer rules over him. The death he died. He died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives. He lives to God. He's reminding us. That Jesus died once for all time to sin. Now he's alive to God. We too have been crucified with Christ, and will be alive with him. And then here's his instruction, verse 11. So you too, meaning you also just like Jesus, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. How do we live in God's power today? What's his instruction? He says, you too, just like Jesus, imitate Jesus and consider yourselves, 
Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. In other words, think about yourselves the way that you actually are. Consider yourselves. Think about yourselves the way that you actually are. Live like who God has already made you to be. And imitate Christ. That is how we live in God's power today. We imitate Jesus and we live as those who are actually dead to sin and alive to God. Now, if that was the only instruction that Paul gave us, I think that would be profoundly helpful. Okay, But rather than just ending his thought there, what Paul does is he goes on and he explains what it means to imitate Jesus and consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And he does so by giving us three careful exhortations in just, and I'm going to summarize for you in just four words, okay? Three careful exhortations from Paul that will serve as the outline for the rest of our morning through the passage. In four words. Number one, do not. Number two, do. Number three, be. How do we imitate Christ and consider ourselves dead to sin, alive to God? Do not do and be. So exhortation number one, Paul, he, he's going to give us some instructions for how we taste freedom in Christ. You want freedom in Christ? Yes. Okay. Here's how we do it. Number one, do not. Do not. And I feel like we have to just call a quick time out here and remind ourselves, Paul didn't start with exhortations. Okay? We're starting with exhortations this morning because we're on point three of a bigger outline that Paul is giving us. But he didn't start with exhortations. He started with what? He started with truth about who we are in Christ. He started with the truth that you are already free from sin's power through faith in Jesus. He is assuming that you're in Christ, and that therefore you are already a perfect shortstop by the grace of God. Sin's power is broken in your life because of the work of Jesus, okay? So this is really important. Paul is not trying to give instructions to non-Christians here. Paul is not trying to instruct non-Christians on how to defeat sin. If you are not yet in Christ... You must first have the power of sin broken in your life by the simple grace of Christ. Okay, you need to receive God's grace through faith in Jesus. Because as a non-Christian, like all you can do, if you, even if you just follow Paul's instructions here, all you can do is go from one form of sin to a different form of sin. Okay, as non-believers, and I was a non-Christian until I was 20 years old. And I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with, with how we fight sin as a non-Christian. We go from one sin to a different sin. We fight our anger with self-righteousness. Okay? We, we, we fight lust with gluttony. I'll just turn to food. We, we fight laziness with pride. I'll go after something that I can achieve and accomplish and make myself great. It's the best we can do, okay? But in Jesus, 
The chains of slavery have been broken. So you don't have to go from one sin to a different. We don't fight sin with sin. We fight sin with Jesus, okay? In Christ, we're actually, we have a new master. The chains of slavery have been broken. We have a new master in Jesus. We can fight sin with Christ, okay? And Paul is assuming that you are in Christ. And from that truth... He then says this, Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, because of who you are in Christ, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. His first exhortation, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In your mortal body, like while you're here playing second base, while we're out of position, while we are not yet home, not yet in our resurrection bodies, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Paul gives us an exhortation to live like the kind of people that we already are in Christ. Be dead to sin because you are dead to sin. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body because sin doesn't reign in your body. Do not obey its desires. And we need that exhortation because as long as we're in this world and we are in this flesh, we are not yet home. And so if we want to imitate Christ and experience freedom from sin, the little like secret insight that Paul's letting us in on is this. While you're here in this world, in this flesh, you will have to reject many of the desires that you have. If you want to be free from sin and alive to God in Christ, in this life, you will have to reject, say no, to many of the desires that you have. Even as a Christian, in this life, you cannot live according to the impulses of your flesh, according to your natural impulses, and be free from sin. You can't do it. You actually have to fight. It can be counterintuitive. I think sometimes we we assume... Hey, I'm a Christian. I have new desires. Yes, you do. But they're not all new. We're still out of position. We still occupy this flesh which is not our friend. And so there will be a fight. You have a fight on your hands. You have to be willing to fight. I know that can be a frustrating reality, but Paul tells us, like, you're going to have a fight in the flesh. And you have to fight against the desire for sin. Do not let it reign in your mortal body. Don't obey its desires. It's going to be there. Like, don't be surprised if, as a believer, your desires, you you still find desires that are messed up inside of you. Remember, we're out of position. We're not in our home. But do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You have to say no to what your flesh wants. If you want to be free from sin. Real freedom means resolving to disappoint your flesh often. I think a lot of times that's not what we want. It's like we we want freedom. We, We want the freedom to be able to 
have everything just be easy and to live according to our impulses. It's just not the way that it works. You have to, you have to resolve to say no to holding on to grudges when it will be so much easier to say yes. You have to resolve to saying no to being a complainer when it will be so much easier to say yes. You have to resolve to say no to laziness and selfishness. And that's if you want to taste real freedom in Christ in this life. Do not obey the desire for sin. And let's not overcomplicate this. It's a fight that we know exists. Let's fight it. Do not let sin reign. And you can't just kind of aimlessly wander through life doing whatever you feel like doing and expect to be free in Christ. It's not what freedom is. You always have a master in life. Freedom is having a good master. You see how Paul describes sin? In verse 12, what does he say? He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Sin is a power that wants to master you. Paul says, don't let it fight. If there is sin in your life, fight. Don't lay down. Don't quit. Don't stop believing that there is power to change in Jesus. Do not let sin reign in your body or obey its desires. Exhortation number two, do. Exhortation number two is do. If you want to imitate Jesus and really experience freedom in Christ, death to sin, alive in God, well, then it's not enough just to like grit, grit our teeth and resolve not to sin. Okay? We, we can't just like sit on our hands and be like, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to sin. There is something in a positive sense that we actually are encouraged to live for, to do. You know, have you ever done this with a little kid? I've made this mistake teaching cubbies a few too many times. Okay, you give them something shiny and fun to play with, and then you're like, don't touch that. Don't play with that. How well does that go? (laughs) That never works, okay? What do you have to do instead? You you give them something positive to do. You've got to redirect them. Like, give them something to give themselves to. If you want them to not touch that shiny thing you just put in front of their face, give them something proactive to do. If you want to be free from sin, you know what won't work? Just resolving not to sin. Like, I'm oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to make the same mistake. Yes, you are. You've got to get busy with something else, okay? And that's what the Apostle Paul is about to give us. Like, the, the marching orders about what we are supposed to give ourselves to. So what does God tell us to do? Romans six thirteen. He says, do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but... As those who are alive, like who are actually alive in Christ from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Here's what God wants you to do. Offer all of yourselves and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. 
to offer yourselves. First of all, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to offer yourselves and all the parts of yourselves? Well, I think it's a double meaning. Okay, first of all, it means to offer our entire individual being to the Lord. We offer our entire body, heart, mind, soul to God. Everything I am and everything I have, it belongs to the Lord. It is to be submitted to God. Okay, we don't have like a religious part of our life and then a non-religious part. We don't live double lives. If that is how you live, if you live a double life, you will not taste freedom in Christ. So if you come to church, okay, and you like put on a smile, put on the religious facade, and then you go home and start screaming at your kids, will you taste freedom in Christ? No. If you come to church, put on the religious facade, put on the smile, and then go home and start yelling at your kids. Or you get in your car and you just start honking at the stranger on the road. Like, will you taste real freedom in Jesus in this life? No. If you go to work and it's like, you're not actually a Christian at work. I am when I show up to church, but then I go to work and I'm just doing whatever my coworkers do. Talking like they talk. My attitude towards my boss, it's the same as everybody else's. If we have like a religious side of ourselves and a, a double life, will we taste freedom from sin in this life? No, absolutely not. Okay? What Paul's saying is every area of our lives, every part of it, everything that we do, all of ourselves, it all actually needs to be genuinely submitted to the Lord given to God at work, in our homes, in our habits, in our disciplines, in our thoughts. Okay? So it's not like I, I have like my Christian exterior and then my non-Christian interior just given to all kinds of sin, daydreaming, whatever it might be. It, it's also not like we have, it's, it's, it's not like we give like, 30% or 50% or even 90% of our lives and time and effort to the Lord. Everything, 100% of our life. Like there are no half-hearted Christians. Doesn't work that way. A good way to actually think about this in your life is this, okay? I'm going to give you two quick, simple questions to consider as you think about just offering all of ourselves, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to the Lord. Is this number one? Is there anything in your life that isn't pleasing to God? That thing that immediately comes to your mind that you know is not pleasing to God, don't be okay with that. Don't just keep living like that. Offer all of yourself 
to the Lord. Second, I want you to think about whatever it is that you give like the most time and effort to in your life. Okay, kind of what's like the biggest category of thing that you have going on in your life? Most of us, it it probably is some sort of like um, job or career or child raising or teaching homeschool or whatever it is. Okay, just think about kind of the biggest bucket of where a lot of your time goes. And just ask yourself this question. Am I doing everything for the sake of glorifying God? When I show up at work every day, am I consciously there to serve, to love, to point people to Christ, to represent Jesus, to glorify God, to obey God, to walk with God, to know God, to make God known. If you drive trucks for a living, are you doing it as one unto the Lord for the sake of God's glory, as a way to represent Jesus are you, are you doing and giving all of yourself to the Lord? If you're a photographer, are you, are you doing it unto the Lord for his glory? Okay, do you see it as a way to represent Christ, to love, to serve, to walk with God, to glorify him? If you're teaching homeschool, are you doing it for the sake of God's glory, giving all that you have, all of yourself, offering it day after day after day after day? You show up to walk with God, to make him known, to glorify him, to know him, to love, to serve. We don't just wander aimlessly through life, and we don't have religious Areas of our life or like religious moments or religious events. All of our life is to be offered up to the Lord. But here's the double meaning. We also offer our entire collective being to God. Our individual selves and our collective selves as a church body offered up to the Lord. Romans 6, 13, he says, Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God. Where else does Paul use this language of parts? Romans 12, we're not there yet, but we'll get there. Romans 12, verse 4, he says, and I want you to pay attention to how he uses this double meaning of parts, okay? He says, now, as we have many parts in one body, he's talking about us, we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, so like my elbow doesn't do the same thing that my toe does. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. 
And individually, we're members of one another. We, we bear each other's burdens. We have a responsibility with one another. It's a double meaning. When Paul talks about the body and its parts, there's often a double meaning there. Individually, we have bodies that have many parts. And then collectively as a church, as the body of Christ, we, we are many parts. And all together, we ought to be offering ourselves together to the Lord. If we want to experience, in other words, if we want to experience freedom in Christ, then you can't do it alone. If you want to taste real freedom in the Lord, freedom from sin and life in God, abundant, joyful life in the Lord, you cannot do it alone. You can't do it functioning like somebody who's just this autonomous individual. Detached from the body. You have to be a part of the body. You cannot experience and taste the abundant life of God and freedom in Christ without a deep commitment to the other parts of the body. If you are trying to live without a deep commitment to the other parts of the body, you won't taste freedom. This is part of why we take church membership seriously. This is part of why we take gathering together seriously. We have a responsibility to one another. We offer ourselves and all the parts of ourselves up to the Lord as weapons of righteousness. As weapons of righteousness. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it tells us that God is on a mission. Okay? So he uses this language of weapons... To inform us that there's a battle going on. God is on mission. There's a battle that God is fighting in the world. It's why he talks about weapons. Be offered in this battle that God is fighting. Okay? And the battle is not against Russia. It's not against Oprah. It's not against poverty. It is not a human battle. It is a battle against the powers of evil and darkness and sin in the world. This is the battle that God is fighting. Ephesians 6, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our enemies are not the people sitting across from us. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. There is a battle that God is fighting. It is a spiritual battle against the power of sin and evil. Okay, now if you are in Christ, what is true of you? The battle's been won. Like this is what we rejoice about. This is what we sing about, that the the victory has been won in Christ. But for everyone else who is not in Jesus, they are enslaved to sin and headed towards hell because of it. And the mission of God is to declare the good news of Jesus Christ in every tribe, tongue, language, and people. The mission of God is to see the world worshiping at the throne of Christ. To to see the world no longer enslaved under sin but in victory in Christ. God is on a mission to destroy the power of sin in the world through Jesus. And if you want to taste freedom from sin in this life, again, you can't just sit on your hands and say, don't sin, don't look, don't touch, 
Don't taste. Part of what you need to embrace is that God has sent us out as his missionaries. You have something to give yourself to. You have something to give your life to. All of us individually and collectively as a church body. He has sent us out as his missionaries. That's who we are in Christ. This is what it means that we are to be offering ourselves as weapons of righteousness to God. We are the means through which God is calling the world into righteousness. We're weapons of righteousness. In what way? We are the means through which God is calling the world and pointing the world to righteousness through faith in Christ. We are weapons in his war, in his battle. Now, does that mean that we all do the exact same thing in this mission that God has? No, absolutely not. We who are many parts are one body and we don't all have the same part or we're not all the same part. We don't all have the same purpose or role. But we do all have the same goal. We are all on mission together and we offer all of ourselves, every part of us individually and collectively as weapons for his righteousness. So how do we imitate Jesus and taste real freedom in the Lord in this life? You have to be on mission. You can't have freedom from sin and the abundant life in God if you are detached from God's mission. Do offer yourselves as weapons for righteousness. Okay, but here's something I have observed. I want to share an observation with you. And I want to share this. Okay, this I'm going to speak in some generalities. I'm going to paint with a broad uh, brush stroke here. Please forgive me for that. But this, and this comes, I, I know many of you, and you know me, okay? And I want to share with you an observation. When we were really young, I think for most of us, now, let's be fair, I didn't know most of you when you were like eight years old. But when we were really young, we didn't think all that deeply about life, more than likely, okay? Some of us wanted to be doctors. Some of us wanted to be baseball players. I wanted to be the guy who rakes the leaves off the beach. Now, when I was thinking, like, life was simple, right? The world was really small. And then we get into our teens and 20s and something pretty cool happens. The world starts to get really big. You you start to grow up and the world starts to become much bigger. And this is really good. We start to think idealistically. We get our eyes on the world and we start to think to ourselves, like, I don't want to just rake leaves off a beach I want to see the world changed. That's what happens. We start to think idealistically. We want to see the world changed. If we're not believers, maybe it's in like politics or environment or whatever it might be. But if we're Christians, like we, we see that in terms of the gospel. And we're like, Man, I, just, I just want to see the world reached for Christ. If you grew up in the church, I bet many of you had at some point as you were growing in the world, you started to see how big the world is. I bet for many of you, you're like, I want to see the world reach for Jesus. I want to see the world changed for Christ. And then we get into our 30s, our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And it's like our world shrinks again. 
And life just kind of starts happening. And then it just keeps happening over and over and over again. We wake up, we do the same thing we did yesterday. And we find ourselves just kind of managing. Just trying to keep our heads above water. We just start to think in terms of the bills that we have in front of us. And we're just trying to save up enough to pay the next bill, pay the next bill, pay the next bill. At best, we're like looking ahead to the next enjoyable thing on the horizon. Make it to the next vacation. Make it to the next day off. But we don't think like we did in our 20s or in our teens. We don't think idealistically. We gave that up a long time ago. Okay, it's like that ship sailed and then it hit an iceberg and sunk. And again, obviously I'm speaking in generalities, but this is just an observation, okay? And I would argue as a result, especially as life goes on, we often, although we would agree with the mission of God, we don't think or live like missionaries. We don't think or live with intentionality. We lose our edge. Okay? But you can't do that. Because when we do that, we are forfeiting our freedom in Christ. We're forfeiting it. Do you want to feel enslaved? Let the world get really small and be all about the next bill that you have to pay or the next holiday that you're looking forward to. If you want to feel enslaved, give up on trying to see the world reached for Christ. If you want to feel enslaved, stop believing that, that God actually can and wants to reach the world with the gospel. Just start fixing your eyes on trying to pay your bills. Let the world get really small. That is the fastest way I know to forfeit our freedom in Christ and to feel enslaved. If we want to be free in Christ, we need to live and think missionally. We offer all of ourselves and all of ourselves collectively as weapons for righteousness. We have to believe that the world can be reached for Christ. Believe that. Give everything that you have to the mission of God. He's worthy. And I want to be really clear here, okay? People can go over the edge. They can. People can go over the edge and be too dedicated to ministry and not see the ministry that they have in their own home. They can lose the forest through the trees. And somebody somewhere is doing that and needs to hear that message. But I don't think they're sitting in this room. I don't think that's our bent. I know most of you. You know me. Our collective bent, it is not to sacrifice our kids on the altar of ministry. That is not how we're wired. We love our kids. Praise God for that. And as we love our kids, we need to be getting our own eyes on the big world around us. And we need to help them to see the big world around us. And help them to see that Christ desires to see the world changed and transformed in the gospel. Be balanced. Win at home. Amen. Okay? Win at home. And bring your kids into big dreams for Christ. Big dreams in the gospel. Be weapons for his righteousness. And then finally Paul tells us this. If we want to imitate Christ and experience real freedom, 
in this life. Exhortation number three, we need to be. We need to be. Romans 6, 14. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. How do we imitate Christ and taste the freedom that we have in the Lord? Be free from sin, alive to God. Be who you are. Be people under grace. Be who you actually are. That, that's probably the greatest instruction that Paul has. It's not even an instruction. It's just a reminder. He says sin won't rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. That's who we are. We are free from sin. Alive to God. If you want to have the abundant life in God, freedom in Christ, you just need to be who you are. Like, here's the beautiful thing about the Christian life, okay? You don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. You, you just have to live like the person that God has actually made you to be. If you're actually in Christ, sin will not rule over you. The grace of God has shattered the chains, Okay, and they're not coming back for all of eternity. If you're actually in Christ, you are a perfect shortstop. You are actually dead to sin, alive to God. Sin has no power over you. And so you don't have to like, what this means is this. You don't have to pretend to be a good person. If you're a Christian, you don't have to pretend to be kind. You never have to pretend to be humble. You never have to pretend to be righteous. That's who you actually are in Jesus. You don't have to put on a facade. You don't have to like show up at church and like put on the church self. If you're actually in Christ, who you are is the best version of you possible. You actually are kind, humble, patient in Christ. And so when you live like that, that's not an act. It's just being who you are in Jesus. You might feel like the real you is impatient. You might feel like the real you is a big jerk. Not if you're in Christ, though. That's, that's the old self. That's the old you that was crucified with Jesus. If you're in Jesus, the true you is actually the new you. You are a new creation in Christ. So you just need to be who you are. That is a lot easier than pretending. And who you are is new. But who you are is also still out of position. Okay? Christ has made us new, but we're still out of position. In this world, in this flesh, we are out of position. And because of that, we are still very much prone to sin. And yet, we are people under grace. That's Paul's reminder in verse 14. You're actually under grace. You're not under the law. You're under grace. Okay, so you don't have to be, you don't even have to be really good at hiding your sin. You don't have to lie. You don't have to cover your sin. You don't have to live a double life. You simply have to be who you actually are in Jesus, which is a person under grace. A great shortstop trying to play second base. Prone to error, prone to sin. You are a person under grace. So you don't have to get really good at hiding your sin. You're a person who has infinite forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So you don't have to cover up. 
And you also don't have to get really good at being angry and frustrated and bitter at everybody else's sin. That's a joy. Like, because you have received infinite, abundant grace, you can freely give grace. What, like, what an incredible thing that is. As, as a parent, if you want to taste freedom in Christ, a part of that is recognizing that you have been given infinite grace, so you can give it right back to your kids. As just a fellow human being in the church, like, you can, you, as someone who's received infinite grace from Jesus, you can just pour it out to others. Freely. You don't even have to get really good at being angry and bitter at people. Think about this. If you are in Christ, you are transformed. Okay? You are different. You're made new. In fact, you've gone through the biggest transformation ever. I used to weigh 400 pounds, and now I'm 170 pounds and totally lean. And No, I didn't really. Even that, though, like, think about that. Like, that would be a pretty big transformation, though, right? If I told you that and it was true, you'd be like, wow, that's... That's a pretty big transformation. You know what a bigger transformation is? The fact that I used to be dead in sin, enslaved to sin, and now I'm alive to God. Biggest transformation ever. And how did it happen? What took place? What did I do? Like, what diet did I get on? What awesome attitude did I embrace? I received favor and forgiveness from God. Like, that's it. The biggest transformation anyone in the world has ever gone through happens just by being forgiven by God, given grace. The most powerful change agent in the world is what? Grace. So don't pretend like you're not out of position and life isn't hard and you don't have sin. Embrace grace. Be under grace. That's who you are. That's what Paul says. Like, we're under grace. So be someone who walks in grace. Be someone who daily receives God's grace, is daily encouraged and built up in the Lord's grace. Be someone who daily cherishes the grace of God. Be someone who changes other people's lives for good by giving them grace and pointing them to the grace of God. Be somebody who is motivated by God's grace, fueled by God's grace. What allows us to taste the freedom that we have in Christ? What allows us to actually be people who have the abundant life in God? It is His grace. So be under grace. Be who you are in Christ. Let's pray.